Hey, happy December 31st, <clears throat> New Year's Eve, post-Christmas, whatever it is for you and your family. And you know, on December 31st, there are usually two questions that all of us ask ourselves. The first one is, how much am I going to party tonight? I mean, it's New Year's Eve. I hope you have a great time with your family. Um, I hope you stay home and you're safe. And I hope you just eat a lot of food because the next day, most of you are probably starting diets because it'll be January 1st. But the other question we ask ourselves is, what gifts do I need to take back? I can't really help you with that one because I'm not sure what you got. I hope you got some great things over Christmas. The good thing is, is that most of us get our stuff online now and Amazon lines returns aren't aren't too long anymore. We just get to easily give it back. But probably the third question, and probably the most important question that you ask yourself on December 31st is how can 2024, the next year, whatever day it is, whatever year it is next year, how can I make that better than the current year? I don't know if you know this, but there are 90 days between tomorrow, January 1st, 2024, and March 30th, 2024 exactly 90 days. And the reason that last date in March is significant is because it is what's known as Silent Saturday or the day that we celebrate or mourn the loss of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, there is no recorded activity of the disciples of Jesus. The only people who are actively engaged that are written about in scripture are the Romans, and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees weren't too keen on a first century Jew named Jesus who decided that the Jewish religion and the way they'd been practicing wasn't exactly the faithful religion to God that they thought it was. And so the Pharisees demanded that Rome executed Jesus. There's a sham of a trial and they put him on two pieces of wood and they execute him in front of everybody. And he's laid in the tomb on Saturday night. And Saturday night, there's no recorded history of the disciples. They're probably at home mourning. But what's interesting is that like the Pharisees go to Rome after Jesus is crucified, and they asked for an armed guard. That's the reason that the New Testament records their activity, is that they were worried the disciples would take the body of Jesus and they would proliferate a story of resurrection, that Jesus would come back to life. Little did they know, they played right into God's hands. You know, the interesting thing is people die all the time. And it's rare, it's really rare for people to die and need an armed guard. It's rare still for someone to die and have stories of them being revived, resuscitated, or uh, just come back to life in fully in the flesh and eating breakfast with their disciples. It's so rare for people to be resurrected. And it's rare still for a small group of uneducated men and women to build their lives around the story of a resurrected first century Jew named Jesus who would ultimately change the world. You know, like I said, there are no recorded stories of that Saturday. You know, most likely because it was the Sabbath, Jesus was resting in the tomb and the disciples were resting at the home. They couldn't go out and they wouldn't go out. And they were probably at home mourning the loss of their Lord, their Savior, their friend, their Messiah. And they were probably at home going, what do we do now? I mean, he was everything to us. Here they were at home, leaderless, hopeless, and directionless. And they probably had a lot of time that Saturday to ask, what should we do now? What would you do in their shoes? So 
So what would you do in their shoes? I mean, the disciples are at home mourning for the loss of their friend, their family member, their Lord, and they have this pivotal decision to make, and they've got all day to make it. And their decision is going to change the course of not only their lives, but all of history. You know, you and I have big decisions that we get to make every once in a while. Normally, when it comes to church, they're not that big, or at least we think they aren't. You know, right now I'm sitting in the front row of our church, and usually I'm up there teaching on a Sunday, and I'm looking out. And every once in a while, I get to sit down in the seats, and I kid you not, sometimes I go, am I sitting in someone's seat? Because I know that sometimes church people have a seat that they like to sit in. They come in the auditorium and I've taken their seat and they're like, who's this guy? Who's this guy in my seat right now? It's not a big decision to make, but it's an important one. Most of the time, when we think about making decisions about our faith, it's on a weekly basis. We think, how am I going to get to church? Am I going to make it to church? How am I going to get my family in the car? Will we have a fight on the way there? We're thinking about who's preaching that day, what the message will be like. Maybe we've invited a friend and we hope and pray that the message is good and they don't talk about giving and that they just are a great place for me to bring someone I know and love because I would so desperately want to introduce them to Jesus through the local church on a Sunday. I think the challenge for most of us is that we think of our faith more of on a weekly basis than a daily basis. Our faith in Jesus is meant to be lived daily. It should be measured daily and not weekly. And so we want to go beyond Sunday in this series. We want to invite you 90 days to spend time with Jesus every day. And I'm going to tell you how to do that. But first, we're going to look at some of the goals and maybe some of the things that you might look at as you go into next year, starting January 1st. What kind of goals would you have for next year? So I don't know about you, but sometime towards the end of 2023, the end of almost every year, I begin to sit down and I start to make goals, strategies, and formulate new habits for the next year. It's a very common practice. Most people want the next year to be better than their last year. And so we write down some goals, and I'll just give you a few that I've written down here. Get unfat. You know, for me, I need to lose a little bit of weight, not just because of my health, but because I want to do some of the activities and I want to play with my kids more. Play guitar more. It's something that I haven't done in a long time. I went to school for it, and it just calms and relaxes me. Spend less time scrolling on my phone, the first thing I do, or the last thing I do before I get in bed. And then eat more family dinners three to four times a week. You know, with our busy schedule, we don't do that enough as a family. And your goals might be different. It may be to pick up the guitar this year. It may be that next year you want to spend less than 50 hours in your work week. Or maybe you want to get a raise. Or maybe you want to reconnect with someone. Or maybe like me, you want to get in better shape. And so you want to do 37 hours of workout in one week and just get it all done, lose all the weight you can. And most of those, if not all of those, are really good goals. Except for the working 37 hours in one week. That, that'll probably kill you, so don't do that one. My point is that most of us want to go into next year saying, I want to be better. I want my circumstances to be better. I want my family to be better. I want my life to be better. And one of the goals that most people make is they say, I want to, I want to be closer to God. I want to spend more time with Him. I want to grow and deepen my relationship. I want to pray more. And my suggestion is, is that there is nothing that will change your life like spending intentional, faithful, daily time with Jesus. Our faith was never meant to be measured on a weekly basis. There are six days between Sunday and the next time we meet. 
And there's a lot that can happen. We need to meet with God and be close to Him every day, which is why during this next series, starting January 1st, we're going to invite you to spend 90 days with Jesus, 90 days with Him, that every day you'll have something to do, that every week you'll have somewhere to go, and that you'll have a story to hear about Him, to say, do I want to commit the rest of my life to this first century person who claimed to be God incarnate? Now, there are two challenges when we go into the next year, is that many of us start out strong and we kind of fizzle at the end because it takes incredible discipline and faithfulness to be with Him every day. But beyond that, there there are a couple different challenges. You know, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you come to church regularly and you're part of a group, or maybe if you're serving, you think, man, how much better can I get? Like, how, how can I grow in my faith? And you may feel stuck. You may feel like, I think I'm doing all the right things. I don't feel close to God. I feel like I'm doing all the things that I should be in my faith, but I'm stuck. This series is going to be super helpful to you because we're going to give you something to do every day and inspiration to take your faith to the next level. Now, if you're in a second category of people where you do not have a relationship with God at all, you don't even know who Jesus is, and you don't even know he lived in the first century, this series is going to be pivotal for you because we're going to answer some major questions when it comes to following Jesus, realizing who he is, and also understanding the answers that only he provides. And so what I want to do in this series, what our church wants to do, is to give you a compelling reason to spend not only the 13 Sundays between January 1st and March 30th, but 90 days developing your faith and diving into a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you a story of one person in the New Testament who when they met Jesus before and after his resurrection, he changed their life dramatically. Come with me. We'll look at that one. So why should you give 90 days of your life to Jesus? Well, as we just stated, you know, there are usually at least two types of people. And those two people are probably the types of people who are watching this message right now. The first one is you've been a committed Christian for a long time. Maybe you feel like you're just stagnant in your faith, and maybe you just feel like, I don't know what to do next. I want to grow. I want to give more of my life to God, but I just don't know how to do it. Or maybe you're a person who says, you know, part of my New Year's goals and resolutions is to discover who Jesus is, to to find out if he is worthy of me giving my life to him. In either case, we want to invite you to spend 90 days with Jesus, with us, as we go through his life. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you one compelling story today, since you're watching, one compelling story about how Jesus changes the lives of people. This story is going to come from Acts chapter 4, and it's about a guy named Peter. Now, Peter is a guy in Scripture who I just I love because he's so real. And Peter and Jesus had this incredible relationship that was very complex. Peter is the guy who said, I want to follow you. I'm going to drop everything to follow you, God. I'm going to leave my fishing business, and I'm going to come after you. And then in times of trouble, he went back to his fishing business. There are times when Peter said, God, I'm ready to do anything for you. And he gets out of the boat and Jesus is walking on water. And Peter gets out and he begins to walk on water. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to fall into the water because he took his eyes off him. Peter's also the guy that said, hey, I want to follow you and your plan, God. And then Jesus tells him what the plan is, that he should be crucified and resurrected. And Peter says, let's not do that 
And Jesus calls him Satan and says, get behind him. He's also the guy that as Jesus is in need of his disciples, more than anything else, as he's being tried and about to be crucified, as they all run from him, including Peter. Peter denies knowing Jesus because he's afraid for his own life. And later on, Peter's restored by Jesus. All this to say is that Jesus, when he was alive and before his resurrection, he had an influence on Peter, but not like he did post-resurrection. So in Acts chapter 4, we get to peek into the lives of John and Peter and some other disciples, and we realize how dramatically Jesus' resurrection, his teachings post-resurrection, and his desire for them to take the gospel to the rest of the world dramatically changed their lives. Peter saw and watched the Pharisees and the Romans killed Jesus, put him up on two pieces of wood where he eventually died and was put in a tomb and he was afraid of them. But now that Jesus was back, he came back from the dead on a Sunday. And after they felt so much remorse on that Saturday, that Sunday was filled with joy and a new choice. Would they follow him to the ends of the earth and for all time? And they decided yes. They decided that Jesus had that big of an impact because he had come back from the dead. So Peter and John are out and they're starting to give the gospel message. They're starting to tell people that Jesus is not so much dead, but is very much alive. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 4. It says, While they were still speaking to the people, Peter and John, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees, so this mob of very powerful people, confronted them because they were annoyed because church people get annoyed easily, as they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, because many of them didn't believe in that. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, the Bible often only counts men. This is no offense to you ladies. It's just how it was done back then. So many think that it wasn't just 5,000 men who believed that day, but them and their families. So upwards of 10, 15,000 people may have come to put their faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ based on the testimony of Peter and John. So the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the scribes assembled them in Jerusalem. So they allow Peter and John to sit and stew over at night, and they figured, look, we'll put them in jail. We'll let them stew over. We'll let them think about what they've done. Hopefully, they'll remember we crucified their Messiah, and they won't want that to happen to them. So we'll let them stew overnight. We'll let them think about what they've done, and tomorrow they will be cowering at our feet. We can let them go, and all this will be put behind us. That's not exactly how it goes. So Peter and John and after stood before them and they began to be questioned. By what power or in what name have you done this? Why are you guys preaching? Why are you guys boldly out here? Didn't you see what we did to Jesus? Then Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, he said this, Rulers and the people of the elders, if we are being examined today about what a good deed was done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people that Christ of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you is healthy. 
So a little bit of portion about this story is that right before this, Peter and John had done a miraculous supernatural act. There was a guy who couldn't move about freely, who was born with some sort of impediment, and they healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. So now you have this problem with the Pharisees, is that first they said, we thought we killed Jesus. Here are these two guys talking about that he is very much alive. And then the second problem is they have performed a miracle, and we cannot dispute that. The person is healed is standing in front of us. There is something supernatural going on. This is not just a historical moment because dead people should stay dead. It's a supernatural one. We don't understand what is happening. So here's what they say in response to what Peter said. This salvation, still Peter, is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And so when they, the priests, the temple guards, the Pharisees, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated, untrained men, in translation, they thought they were dumb, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so they correlated these two men, Peter and John. Those two guys were with Jesus. So, and since they saw they had been healing uh, people and that guy was standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves saying, what should we do? So the Sanhedrin, the temple guards, the Pharisees, they get together like, what are we going to do with these guys? I mean, it's obviously a miracle has been performed. The guy who's healed is standing in front of us. These guys have obviously been with Jesus and yet they have no fear of us. They saw us crucify their Lord and here they are parading about in the streets, talking about a resurrected guy, a Messiah. What are we going to do about them? We can't let this happen. So they say, for an obvious sign has been done, and we cannot deny it. But so this doesn't spread anymore and any further among the people. Let's threaten them. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. Basically, we don't want you to talk about Jesus anymore. We put that guy to rest, and you should too. So they called for them and ordered for them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then Peter and John, because they're so bold at this time, and I love their boldness, they say this, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you'll have to decide that. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. You know, Peter does a complete 180. At one time, he couldn't wait to disassociate himself with Jesus because it might cost him his life. And then a couple months later, he sits in front of the very people who crucified his friend, his Lord, his Messiah, and his God, and Jesus Christ. And he boldly says, do your worst. You can put me in jail. You can put me to death. You can put me out of the synagogue. But at the end of the day, I will preach about Jesus because he changed my life fundamentally. The three years that Peter spent with Jesus changed his life a little bit. But when he realized that Jesus had come back from the dead, it changed his life forever. And he boldly preached, and he boldly was about to accept the consequences handed down to him. So the reason I tell you this story is that Jesus always has a dramatic effect on people. Either in one sense people go, he's not for me, I don't want to give my life to him or to what he's asking. Or for those who have said yes to him and have been compelled by the story, and have been compelled by what he can do for you. People say, my life will never be the same. So here's my invitation to you. We said this series 
is going to be about 90 days with Jesus. In fact, we're calling it a 90, and it's going to begin tomorrow, January 1st. And every Sunday, we're going to give you a message about Jesus. And we're going to answer three pivotal questions about this in this series. For the first month, we're going to say, what did people say about Jesus? Good, bad, ugly, indifferent, loved him, hated him. We're going to look at all the things that people said about Jesus, and you'll probably hear some of your own questions in there. And then for the second month, we're going to say, what did Jesus say about himself? What did he claim? Do some of our questions and some of those questions and some of the answers to those two, do they go together? Do we have a realistic view of who Jesus is? Do we have his view of who he is? And then for the third month, as we lead on and into day number 90 to the day of Saturday where you have to make a choice based on what you've seen and heard about Jesus, we're going to ask this third question. What are the answers that only Jesus provides? So we said it's 90 days. So how does that start? Well, it starts tomorrow. And I'm going to give you three things that I hope you'll start with tomorrow. As you investigate, as you plan, as you plan with your goals for the next year, I hope you'll do three things. Two of them are weekly and one of them is daily. The first one is I hope you'll come to church every Sunday for this series. There's only 13 Sundays in this series. I want to give you as much information and as much faithful teaching as we can give you on the personhood, identity, divinity, and just the makeup of who Jesus was so you can make the best decision. How do I grow in faith in Him and how do I follow Him for the first time? So I hope you'll come to church every Sunday, 13 Sundays in a row. You know, the average churchgoer that's considered a good churchgoer, I don't really know what that means, or consistent may be a better way to say it, is they go twice a month. What if you went 13 times in a row and you heard every message that we think you need to hear about who Jesus is and how he can change your life? So that's the first one. The second one is that we think the Sundays aren't enough. We love what we do here. I love teaching up here. I love being with you guys in worship, but it's not enough. We hope that you will join a group because we're going to give you great small group materials during this series. We're going to focus everything on one person, Jesus himself. And you're going to have questions. You're going to have things you need to talk about. Maybe you're going to have, that, have things to repent of. Maybe you're just going to have ways to share Jesus with other people. And we hope that you will invite a ton of people to Sundays and in your group. You can invite people into a small group, your friends, your coworkers, people you know and love and care about. They do not have to come to church here. What we want them to do is to have a relationship with Jesus, and you can assist in that. And then the third one is a daily devotional. And it's a daily prayer. And it's something you can do every day. And I'm going to give you the quick formula. It's actually a prayer that Jesus did himself. He said this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. So my challenge to you is every day, maybe the first thing you do when you wake up and the last thing you do when you go to sleep and in the middle, in between all of those meals, you say some version of this prayer. You say, God, if you are willing, and you insert something you want God to do for you and your family, but you always end in the same way. But not my will, but yours be done, God. So for me, if I were to start this today, I might say, hey, God, if you are willing, make me more attentive around my family. Help me lose weight. Help me stop scrolling on my phone. Deepen my relationship with you. It might be one of those things. I might simply say, God, if you are willing... Help me be more present with my family. But whatever happens, Lord, not my will, 
but your will be done. You can do that every day as you spend 90 days with Jesus. So again, attend on Sundays. Ask someone to come with you. Invite your friends, your neighbors, and anybody. They're going to hear a message of hope every Sunday between January and March. Secondly, we hope you'll join a group. We're going to bug you about it because we really feel like life is better in community. And thirdly, we hope you will do this prayer to organize yourself around God's will. You are invited to spend 90 days with us as we look at the life of Jesus. Happy New Year to you and your family.